passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Rewind the dynamite from the most recent sight. AEW, lighting up the fuse. Sit back and enjoy the bubbly. Cause we hear from John and Waiting. Where we're going, we don't need roads. And if the bug stops here, this thing might blow. Everything you hear, opinions of the show. And if you don't like it, go to the forums and let them know. Welcome to Rewind, a Grand Slam. I am John Pollock alongside Waiting here on a Wednesday evening, moments after AEW Grand Slam from Arthur Ashe Stadium, the third rendition. And I know, Way, that we were just uh, talking beforehand, before we went live, that, you know, what we could have gone for is two more hours of wrestling, which this crowd at Arthur Ashe Stadium is in store for. I mean, I'm sure if you were there, John, you you would have felt the energy coming off of that show. You might have been able to do six hours after this. I don't know about that. That was not the resounding answer we heard from people that attended last year's show that went till 1240 a.m. Oh, is that right? Well, I don't think it'll go that long tonight. I would not. I would think uh, depending on when they they get underway. But yes, a two hour rampage on Friday, a two hour collision on Saturday. And then we have the pay-per-view next weekend and poor Excalibur had to promote everything that is coming up and they're going to fit a contract signing in there between now and the pay-per-view on top of it. Well, of course. Yes. Let's uh, start off the top. The, the major concern from the show was John Moxley who uh, took a uh, fire thunder driver by Ray Phoenix. And it would seem that he was uh, just spiked coming down on the mat. And as Ray Phoenix went to pin him, John Moxley did not kick out and Rick Knox is not sure what to do. So he's holding it up. And it's that, that gas from the crowd when they feel like someone blew a spot or something, but Moxley was evidently injured and whatever was communicated, Phoenix then took Moxley and gave him a second driver and then pinned him to become the international champion. Now the, at least silver lining so far is that it sounded like, and I saw video of him like sitting up and then as Excalibur communicated after, which I was really glad they provided an update because the audience just saw this guy go down and they stopped shooting him and just said that he's being tended to when they came back from break Excalibur said that he did leave on his own power, but Mm -hmm. obviously this is just minutes removed, whether there is a serious injury, a concussion, we don't have that update, but he was moving. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the last several, oh, the entire finish was was incredibly bizarre. From, um, you know, the Rick Knox. Um, I don't even know if it's no. Who knows? Like in professional wrestling, like certain things can happen, and we don't really know who to, who to attribute maybe the fault to. 
I you for me at least watching it back several times, you could clearly hear the after the first Phoenix driver, Mox was mouthing finish, finish to to, to Knox, and uh, you know maybe in that split second, who knows what sort of audible would have been called um, even before that first one was hit, um, but that was miscommunicated and that was weird. Now it's if if he was injured on that first one. It's really hard for me to think that Phoenix and Mox himself would agree to just take a second one, you know, like even <sighs> even if that's being called by one of the performers, even if that's being called head injury, potential neck injury like that is the moment that the referee has to just it's off. It's done. And I don't think like that. It was definitely concerning. And listen, I'm not casting blame, but in these situations are unfortunately like these are going to happen. This is not something that is so out of left field in a professional wrestling setting. And I would say certainly the doing the same move a second time, like we, we don't know in that split second, who knows? Like he could be, he could have a neck injury and removing him, not, not just moving him, but uh, de- delivering this driver again. And I think that there is no problem at all. If, like there's there's a head injury a neck injury done match over yeah sure but i also do have to open up the possibility that he was perfectly fine i mean we all saw will osprey versus kenny omega and all of us gasped you know clearly expecting something to have gone wrong but i mean you hear from wrestlers afterwards saying that they're perfectly fine so it's entirely possible that like he was perfectly okay and decided just give me the finish again so we can end it again it it was just he could not kick out way like he was motionless what after the second one the first one Mm. that was the whole problem he couldn't kick out unless he intended for that to be the finish well, the referee certainly wasn't ready for that to be the finish. So I, that's what I'm saying. We don't know where the miscommunication took place. The fact that he was able to actually get up for the second one, though, and the fact that he was able to walk out tells me, like, he had use of his legs. Like, it wasn't that type of, you know. He, he was down for a bit, though. It's not like he just immediately sat up. Like, it was minutes before as they were checking on him. So, again, before. this is professional wrestling. So I, I do have to open it up there how much of it was – I just lost the match. I have to stay down. You know, again, like we have to talk about all this because it's professional wrestling and because it's weird as hell. And all of these things. And they did the spot in the main event. They did the exact same spot in the main event and everyone understood like that was yeah. part of the match. This 15 minutes after the show is done. We don't have that much information right now. Hopefully in the morning we will. But all of these things are possible. It's just a, a really weird series of events, you know, just even starting from the first one and into the decision to, to do it again. So if there is an injury, uh, obviously, we just hope he's perfectly fine. Yeah, I mean, and th- these are things as well where sometimes you just you see someone get up and it's assumed fine. Like sometimes these injuries, like the the true extent of them, it's the next morning might be a, a whole different thing. So, you know, when, with the, with the head and the neck, you always have to be very, very uh, cautious and can't necessarily make a, a, an instant diagnosis on it either. And the Phoenix driver is a, you know, a, a move that Ray Phoenix uses often. It's, it's one of his signature moves. Um, mm-hmm. You know, was there, if in fact this was an injury, um, you know, was there a certain, height differential that made this one particularly more you know gruesome and scary um and do they look at you know um limiting a move like this from either ray phoenix or other performers in the future i mean wwe of course for a long time has had the pile driver ban um 
is this something AEW will have to seriously look at? Is there audience demand for these types of moves to be to, to go away? I mean, this is something we constantly revisit anytime a serious injury occurs. Well, I I defer to what what I would call the Lance Storm rule. It's not so much that you're policing moves, you're policing those that are administering the moves. And Ray Phoenix does not have a history of botching this move or or anything like it. These things like th- this is just a matter of inches. And you can see people have like slowed down this this move if you mm-hmm. care to see like it just it just looks like he was just down a little bit too much and the head just connected. But this, you know, you are you are trying to simulate a uh, a paralyzing maneuver. And uh, sometimes you are just it, it, these things will happen. I don't think it cause calls for a removal of a move. I think you look at uh, performers and if there is a repeated uh, issue, uh, someone is not experienced enough or it's it's uh, like we, we've seen this move so many times without problem. Yeah, it's it's a debate that I think we'll have for a long, long time. Um, but only one time is could be too much, you know, with something like this. So eh, we we will learn more tomorrow. All right. Um, if you we will go through some of the news, but if you want to get a catch up on uh, some of the other items, there was a huge feature in the L.A. Times today on Vince McMahon and going into his history. Someone was tasked with a. Uh, Write a write a story about the history of Vince McMahon and uh, the ongoing investigations by the SEC and uh, Department of Justice. So um, this uh, this writer uh, went in and covered everything from the Ring Boy scandal to the Montreal screw job, and then brought us up to the present. So uh, Brandon and I spent uh, a lot of time chatting about that, as well as having Bill from WrestleTix in his first ever interview uh, joining us. So uh, that was a great discussion. If you are a a ticket nerd. This is the conversation for you where we go through all the different trends, um, how Bill kind of got into this, which he has become one of the go-to people when it comes for uh, ticket data in the pro wrestling space and overall trends that we're seeing with AEW and WWE of late. And we'll get into the Arthur Ashe numbers because they had a a big uh, movement this week. We can actually discuss it now. So about a week ago, they were just over around like 6,200 tickets, give or take. And at the last check before the show started tonight, they were right at about 10,000 tickets distributed. So there was a huge movement, uh, especially the last couple of days where uh, we, we had seen over the last week, they were doing the two for one offer, but they also sent like their big guns to do a lot of media in the New York market. And I think that combined with a card that looked very attractive on paper, there was a there was a big kind of last minute decision makers uh, that opted to to go to this. And we'll see hopefully what what the gate turns out to be in comparison to uh, other events uh, at Arthur Ashe Stadium, because the first year they had the over 20,000 people. Uh, but last year was actually a larger gate. And this one, one of the complaints we did see was like extremely high ticket prices, especially for your like we were talking nearly $600 for some of the higher price seats for this particular event with AEW. But I guess, how would you assess just the promotion of this event way? And, and did that change at all over this last week? Because this was looking to be a, you know, a potential, you know, disappointing number. I can't say 10,000 is disappointing unless, you know, year one is your comparison point. Well, maybe kind of going back to our discussion about the, you know, all in uh, paid attendance versus turnstile count. I mean, 
ultimately what matters is how much money they made in my opinion i mean there's a, a i think a good deal of i think positive pr that you get from being able to advertise a higher number of people being in the building being able to advertise a certain sellout crowd certainly the aesthetic of it uh, you know appeal of it is, is a big difference maker but um Ultimately, I think how much money they make is going to be the big, you know, definer of how successful this event was, how successful promotion was. I think there are going to be lessons to be learned here from, though, you know, like from from this entire um, like run for for Grand Slam. And I, I I heard a lot of people saying that this year they just simply priced the tickets too high, and you can understand why, you know, given like the aftermarket for previous years that they would decide to get the jump on that and if scalpers are going to make all this money why don't we just you know sell price these tickets at a higher level but um clearly it was a bit too high and especially you're talking about a company right now that for whatever reason um the live experience is not as much of a priority for your common AEW fan right now um i think the card was ended up being really strong and without necessarily being able to see a lot of the local media appearances i'm sure i mean clearly that that was a big difference maker too so i imagine next year they'll be pushing just as hard if not for all their events you know putting your local stars on tv or wherever you can do you keep this in the same uh time as previous years and this year when you we know they're going to do the all-in all-out back-to-back weekends again is that too close to be promoting all these big shows I I think we got to get used to it, John. I mean, they're probably going to be promoting at this rate like a pay per view a month, right? So could this be a pay per view? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I I I feel like the setting itself feels big enough, and in fact, it will probably spur a lot of you know ticket sales simply on the fact that you're you're selling a pay per view and not just an edition of Dynamite itself. Um, They're basically doing a pay per view when you mm -hmm. add in Rampage. Totally. Yeah. Um, How does that work for trains? What time do you have to get people out of there? Well, I think this would do a lot better on a like I, I don't know the the booking frequency of Arthur Ashe Stadium, but I would I would think like a Friday or Saturday, even a Sunday. I think this is a more attractive offer. Like I'm much more inclined to sit through four hours of wrestling that go to one a.m. on a weekend than a Wednesday night. I think that's another complaint from people is that a lot of these people have to work the next day, and that's that's a really late night. And um, and they did announce the main event for Rampage would be. The, the hung bucks challenging uh mogul embassy so i'm assuming that'll go on last one of the great benefits of i think AEW theming a lot of these dynamites is that they've just cultivated these sort of name brands of you know like a grand slam or a winter is coming that you could just elevate to a pay-per-view status whenever you want to uh does that take away from you know what what is still like something that really matters in your dynamite rating uh yeah um but i i don't know there's something nice about like being able to say like you you're, you're you're going to a 20,000 seater for, for a pay-per-view um, at that point, you might even be able to justify raising the tickets um, or at least selling at a pay-per-view level versus just a dynamite level. So I could see them doing it. We'll see if they will. Number from Tuesday night, NXT uh, did its second big number in a row with 824,000 viewers and a 0.24 in the demo. So just slightly below last week's numbers, which were their largest in years. This with week two of Becky Lynch, who came out at the start of the show and freestyled. And that set up a handicap match turned tag match with a uh, Lyra Valkyria against Tiffany Stratton and Kiana James. Um, big increase with uh, women 18 to 34, which were up 57%. It was their biggest women, female number in that 18 to 34 number in months. And um, 
So a, a positive trend that way. Men 18 to 49 were down as were uh, the 35 to 49 demo. But uh, overall, like a 0.24, they were number one among all sports programs on cable for the night. And uh, and and they were down in Canada. So everything making sense uh, with the U.S. and Canada <laughs> divide. But also adding Becky Lynch to the No Mercy show on September 30th, where she will defend the title in a uh, extreme rules match with Tiffany Stratton that I think becomes the main event of that show. I could see even oh, above yeah. Carmelo Hayes and Dragunov, mm-hmm. but it really beefs up this show. It, like we were looking at what impact is No Mercy going to have on Collision? I think sizably more now that you have this match attached and you have several main roster performers on that show and that NXT, more people are watching NXT on a weekly basis than they have in years. Totally. Absolutely. Um, yeah, as they should, you know, I mean, whatever Nick Khan said about trying to, you know, be able to turn this into an actual third brand, they are giving it as good of a go as they ever have. And it's proving to be pretty successful for them. Um, I think if, you know, if you're trying to book collision, it's it's just not just potentially one thing a month you have to deal with now. And sometimes it's going to, going to be two times a week. So sucks for them. But um, I'm happy for all the people involved with a- NXT, including its roster that is going to be forced to really step up. And I think a lot of a lot of them have. Yeah. Wait till level up starts doing premium live events. Goodness. Oh you my. need developmental now for developmental. That's true. Yeah. So then we can have uh, uh, 50 hours of wrestling a week. Yes. Uh, th- do you think WWE is officially out of its plateau? <laughs> this is why Vince McMahon <laughs> sold the company. You know, the company peaked. Yeah. Well, thank- thankfully he sold. I think that's what did it. Yeah. Got out at the right time. Yeah. So uh, multiple reports this week about Randy Orton being spotted at the Performance Center. Uh, Cassidy Haynes noting he's been present there pretty consistently over the last three weeks. And uh, yeah, there was even a video circulating, which I'm of the belief was a recent one as well. And he, he wasn't exactly hiding from fans, but was telling them to uh, like giving them the shush. So either he's um, telling the fans to keep this quiet or he's lining up for something with Chad Gable. He's going to be uh, the new librarian. Uh, could be, could be a great role for him, but he is now, uh, 43 years old and he's coming back from the most significant injury of his career. He's been out since May of last year. So we're talking a year and a half that he has been gone and you, you have a lot of stuff you can do with him, but what do you see as a, if you're looking at say, Randy's got, this is sort of, I'm in the back, uh, like, I've got a year left, whatever the time frame is. He's got to be looking at winding it down now. What, what, how do you best capitalize with a Randy Orton in these, this final leg of his career? I mean, I think you try to do as much as you can by billing him at the very top of the card. And whether that's, you know, challenging Roman Reigns, getting a, um, maybe not having him actually with the title, but like getting a good program, maybe even a series of programs out of that. Or uh, on the other side of things, you know, him working as a heel against the Seth Rollins or as a babyface against Gunther. Like you throw him in the top mix. And, you know, if you're trying to be a bit more conservative, maybe put on like put him on a bit of an edge, you know, or Brock Lesnar type of schedule, um, have him appear, cut his promos. He's fantastic and at telling stories and then save the big matches for these pay-per-views. I mean, you know, he's a huge name and um, somebody you could, you know, rely on to, to headline in paper, any pay-per-view. And he's been gone for such a long time. I mean, mm-hmm. he was, you know, and at a point in his career, like there was certainly the a long period where I think Randy Orton had just become, you know, he was just like, like the curtains in your in your uh, in your living room. 
You're just what, always kind of like a Dolph Ziggler. I mean, not not current Dolph Ziggler, but like on a similar level of, of a Dolph Ziggler. Exactly. Somebody who's just always there doesn't really spike anything. And, and, I, and, I, and I think it, he was he had one of the most transparent tells of when he was interested in something and when he was not interested in something. And that became mm. very clear. But these last few years, he seemed very uh, invigorated by what he was doing and the riddle program. And, and, and uh, that's, it, that's one that, you know, obviously they could pick up on um, Riddle's status, I guess, you know, TBA. But, you know, like that's that's a big program that they have to finish still. Yeah. And the big one was the injury angle was at the hands of the bloodline. And it would be a shame if he comes back and they just forget about that. Like that would be mm. awful storytelling that he doesn't come back. And like that was the whole point of an angle is you come back for something and that can feed into a big match with reigns. And it also can put him on raw where Jay Uso is one of the culprits of his attack. And it's another guy that mm. has the issue with Jay Uso. So there's a lot there. And the fact that he is, you know, consistently like working out, it's probably an imminent return. Maybe he stays at NXT. Could do that long. as well. I mean, you know, um, Hank Walker and tank ledger are not guiding their careers themselves. You can join the meta four. The Meta Five, yeah, the Meta Five, yeah. Okay, go over the Heritage Cup. Yeah, the, yeah, they can all get their Matrix attire together. Maybe, mm-hmm. maybe he wants to be a. Maybe he wants to oversee the finals of the Global Heritage Invitational. Mm-hmm. Maybe. I don't know if it quite captured the G one drama of the math, but you know, they we, we saw WWE generate a tournament based on round robin and points, and and we're at the finish line, and it made sense. It was better than the Battle for Glory series. Uh, that is true yeah everybody had an equal number of matches so here's an interesting story Uh, wwe um are in another legal dispute so get ready uh so this was uh made known on wednesday and these notes uh come from uh, brandon thurston who has gone through the the case and some of the highlights so wwe struck a deal with uh panini to be their exclusive uh like trading card licensee and they came to this agreement in October of 2021, but the deal didn't go into effect until the first quarter of 2022. So in March of 2022, they also announced this deal with Fanatics that would start to oversee their um, their collectibles and also would take over WWE's physical and digital trading cards once the Panini deal expires, which was a four-year deal. So... This was like WWE. Um, they went on a date and and met someone. And at the end of it, they were like, are we going to see each other again? And the guys just head over heels and says, I'd love to. But I just got married. So I'm going to leave her. But I can't just get divorced so quickly. We've, we basically just got married. So just give mm. me a few years. And today was, you know, <laughs> daddy's moving out. And thus... Uh, WWE finds themselves. So they they notified Panini on August 28th without any warning. This is all from the Panini side in the in the um, in the filing that WWE just essentially contacted them and said, we are ending the deal. And the, they they want to have uh, Panini wants to have this termination invalidated. Like we have like years left on this deal. And they stated WWE never raised any issue with our past performance. They accepted our royalty payments. They even praised us for tripling their business. So WWE apparently stated they had a provision where they could terminate the deal if Panini did not engage in good faith. But this provisional period ended in June of last year. So 
that's also not it. And then on top of the WWE, they want out of this and they also want a lump sum of $5.6 million because that was the minimum amount of royalties due under this four-year agreement. And so again, this is Panini's argument, which it just sounds so one-sided that there has to be more of a, uh, of a side to this or not. And it's just insane. But it just sounds like WWE's like, yeah, we're done with you. We'd like this cash payment. We don't want to honor the rest of this agreement. And we're, we just want to give the exclusive trading card license agreement to fanatics who are waiting to take this over. And we don't want to go to 2026. We just are going to pull the plug now. Does not seem like this is a relationship you can uh, repair based on something like this. I don't know what Panini is like. It almost sounds like Panini wants to just, hey, we'll we'll continue to work with you, but we're not ending this early. But it just feels like this is the uh, the end of this relationship. Uh, I'm sad to hear it. You know, um, uh, do kids still collect trading cards? I'm the wrong person to ask. I mean, I was a big uh, baseball card collector when I when I was young, but mm. um, I, I don't know if I used to are. collect stickers. Actually, Panini yeah. stickers. Well, Fanatics was also like looking into like their their uh, NFTs as well, and I, I don't know how well that's done for for anybody, yeah. honestly. Yeah, um, I know you know another lawsuit for the WWE. I, I suppose kind of you know um, throw them in the queue. Um, Endeavor's problem now. Jerry McDivitt is off to the beach. He's done. And uh, last thing here is this new group that is launching. And this is more the curiosity of the, uh, the concept itself, which we will find out on Thursday night. It's, it's Skibon, which is happening in New York. And so this is from the original press release. Skibon, the first ever Joshi women's wrestling company outside of Japan, featuring an entirely Japanese roster, will hold its world premiere event on September 21st at Capital in New York City. Featuring the strongest women's roster in North America, Skibon will harken back to the glory days of Joshi Wrestling to present the authentic, hard-hitting, phenomenal Joshi experience. The Skibon name is an ode to the girl gangs of the 60s and 70s that helped bring feminism to the forefront of Japan. Skibon's roster features many of the world's best wrestlers portraying new characters that they have helped influence and create the company's four stables, the Vandals, Harajuku Stars, Cherry Bomb Girls, and Dangerous Liaisons, feud with one another to reach the apex of Skibon. So this is, so there was going to be some kind of broadcast component to this, and they revealed on Thursday, it will air on TikTok. Obviously, they were waiting until the last minute. They didn't know where to broadcast it, and they went and read Jack Wanon's great feature and realized this is the audience to tap into. So it will air on TikTok. And will post wrestling have you covered? Yes, because we have gone to the Joshi Queen herself, Karen Peterson, who will not only have a report on this debut show on Thursday night, she will also have a a preview and going over some of the characters uh, Thursday morning at postwrestling.com. So I'm curious to see how this goes off. I'm always hesitant when a group's big sales pitch is, we're going to reinvent professional wrestling and how it's done. But nonetheless, I'm, I'm always, I go into these open-minded to see what they have. The production level of what they have put out, like their trailers. I mean, it looks like tremendous production and, uh financing is behind this and there are several it's a lot of uh wrestlers that are portraying original characters for this project uh but you have like risa sarah involved unagi sayaka um you is part of this but they're all playing pretty much new original characters in these four groups groups 
I think it sounds fantastic. Um, I think Joshi is such an untapped like um, presentation for a North American audience that um, I feel like the amount of times that I've tried to get into stardom and I've really like had difficulty because of either um, I don't know, like lack of clarity about scheduling or just like lack of um, available translations and, and everything like that is, is pretty staggering. And I think there's a real craving for high quality women's wrestling um, and colorful characters. I mean, it sounds like it might be a version of wow, but with good wrestling. So I'm curious to see man, how, man, what a, Oh, you know what? what I haven't what seen shade. wow quite a bit. I'm sorry. <laughs> Well, listen, um, I don't even know. I can't even name a character on WoW at, at this point. Is Cage Teat still a thing? I, I, don't, I don't think that. Not, not in this iteration. Dealt a lot of pain? She's still involved? I don't want to out myself as someone that does not keep up with women of wrestling every week. I have my limits. I have my limits. I can't, I can't okay. watch everything. But I'm going to try and watch uh, this at, at some point uh, th- this week. So that's debuting Thursday night if you want to check that out. So you're going to have to download TikTok now? I might have to. I do not have TikTok. So, so what do you do? Like, just hold, like, can you stream? You can stream. I, I've never streamed anything beyond like I have actually used TikTok, but never to stream something that is longer than a couple like seconds. So. Maybe you can um, film your reaction on TikTok. That would not be fun for anyone involved. Oh, come on, old man John trying to follow this on on TikTok. But now we go on over and uh, postwrestling.com is uh, where you can go. For everything in your life, all your needs come there. Way and I will be doing, uh, well, the cafe will have four straight shows uh, starting Thursday. We've got the Last of McGinnis review for this week's Rewind Away. That will be dropping uh, Thursday evening as we go back and review the Nigel McGinnis documentary from about a decade ago. And then Friday night, we're live after SmackDown, 10 Eastern, uh, Collision Course Saturday. And then Sunday, Karen Peterson and Bruce Lord will be chatting Destruction in Kobe with Will Ospreay taking on Yoda Suji. So four straight days of cafe shows, $6 gets you access for the month and multiple, multiple bonus shows each and every week. And even a bonus on top of the bonuses because we have postmarks coming out on Saturday with Bruce and David talking to Corey, frequent caller on Fridays here on uh, Post Wrestling. So I'm looking forward to that a lot. Okay, check out all of that. And tonight we get into Grand Slam from Arthur Ashe Stadium, off the top, we have Excalibur, Taz, and Shivani joined by Ian Riccoboni for the title versus title match. And we have Claudio warming up where he knees Yuta right in the liver. And then Kingston is, uh, this was just great, like setting the, uh, the scene here. He's with uh, Penta and Alex Abrahantis in the back. And Eddie Kingston was just giant star walking out and everyone's chanting for Eddie. So great atmosphere at the beginning. So, you know, obviously... Um... Eddie Kingston uh, is a huge fan of um, Toshiaki Kawada. And uh, it was not lost on a lot of people when Claudio walked out in green and white as well. Um, And in fact, like he was wearing a a Rivera jacket, but it was very much in the same color and style as Mitsuharu Misawa when he would walk out for his entrances wearing that um, shiny white jacket with those green trunks. So clearly paying tribute. And I would even extend that to these like backstage sort of walkout moments that felt very all Japan like. Very much so like going back to the, uh, you know, the big Budokan main event uh, type of uh, atmosphere and the the walkthrough from the, from the back. So uh, very cool for, for all of that. And so we start things and uh, they get into a big chop battle. They go to the floor, uh, an, Urican lands for Eddie Kingston, but this was a first. Claudio used his head to block it. 
ever you know, try you, uh, yeah, I think when you shave your head, your head automatically becomes that much harder and resistant. Well, I don't know if he's damage. got titanium in there, but this worked, and Eddie sold his hand from hitting the man's head. So Hey, the I, skull is a pretty hard it, part. It hurts, part, so. I know, yeah. Um, but Claudio then lifts and suplexes Eddie onto the ramp and continues by stomping the arm and hits a European uppercut, and we go to picture-in-picture, picture, which... Uh, TSN did not go picture in picture for this break, but then they got their act together later in the show. Kingston catches Claudio and goes through the sequence of an Inziguri, Exploder, Saito suplex, and then into the rapid fire chops in the corner. But Claudio just eats them and he stands up to Eddie, who drills him with this right hand, and that catches Claudio and rocks him. They continue the strikes. The Ricola bomb is countered with a roll-up. And man, is this crowd just ready to see Eddie win this. And there's a running European after Claudio gets up for a two-count, tries for another Ricola bomb, and Kingston kicks out. The place goes nuts. Because as much as Eddie was the sentimental favorite, I think they have conditioned the audience that he's just not going to win. Or these big, these big moments, at least in AEW, you... Don't just assume the happy ending is going to be given to you when you expect it. So mm. when he kicked out of this, there was a genuine like roar from this crowd. They're chanting for him. And Eddie comes back. One Urican, two Urikens, a half and half suplex, a third Urican, followed by the Northern Lights bomb. And Claudio kicks out. And this crowd, you can just hear their, the life draining from them after this super special combo that he hit. And then tries to lift up Claudio for a pile driver, but can't lands another hurricane and power bombs Claudio. And with that wins the ROH championship in 15 minutes and 27 seconds. And this crowd, they just lost it here for the ending. And they, I mean, this was your all Japan style, like just sprint down the, down the stretch. And these guys just, who was going to be the last man standing? And it was yeah. Eddie Kingston. A terrific, terrific match. Um, this was the opener, but it was absolutely a main event caliber um, presentation, main event caliber match. I think the pageantry and the atmosphere here already made this feel like a very special match even before the bell. But the match itself was as hard hitting as I think, you know, the the the, the style of match that they were trying to pay tribute to. Um, Kingston, I thought working with the arm injury and eating that punishment from somebody as dominant and as vicious as Claudio made him that much bigger of a, you know, perfect hometown baby face for this home crowd. And uh they, they were really trying to sell, I think, the significance of Eddie holding the ROH championship here, you know, um, coming off the lineage of, I guess, you know, people that um, were his friends or are his friends like Xavier, Loki, Homicide, Jay Briscoe, and uh, really the perfect night and the perfect setting for this title change. It was great. I mean, this was the stage to do it on something this big for Eddie Kingston in New York. And afterwards, Claudio offers his hand. Kingston shakes it. And Claudio just hands him the title and walks off. I See love him? that. I love that Claudio simply like shook his hand and immediately left as if to, you know, just like um, convey that he his ego was severely hurt as a result of, assault, result of all this. But he's still like the, the BCC guys are noble enough that they will still shake your hand and respect the code of honor afterwards. Um, how would you assess this Claudio run? I think it was good. I wouldn't say ROH is in a place, though, where it 
it has that that level of importance attached to it where I think you're going to judge a lot of Claudio's work on what you're seeing in AEW as opposed to the week-to-week stuff on ROH. And it's- I was pretty shocked when they listed his 2023 singles record as 6-0. and Like, the man has only had six singles matches this year. That's crazy. So yeah. it tells you we've seen a lot of him in, in multi-mans. You know? Yeah, I mean, the... the- you know the big matches he's had with this ROH title have been have been great. It, I just I watched this and like at, at the bare minimum, I think like this should be the balancing act. Like Eddie Kingston should not be exclusive on Honor Club, and mm-hmm. it should be like this title match should not have been on Honor Club. I wouldn't have even done this on an ROH pay per view. Like the way things yeah. turned out with the G One, I think this was a better setting for it, and and just made the title feel that much more important in front of ten thousand people instead of in front of you know five. The question of uh, exactly what your aim is for Ring of Honor and Honor Club, I think, continues to be you know uh, an interesting one. That I wonder if they even really know. You know, they have um, so many masters to serve. You know, a Ring of Honor was purchased without AEW collision needing but this was a self-created master to serve like this is not being thrust upon them Mm -hmm. like they have voluntarily taken on this extra priority in putting together another two-hour wrestling show with championships with pay-per-views and the argument of like could ROH exist as just a pay-per-view entity like obviously they don't want to do that and if they can eventually sell ROH great but like it's I don't know. It it to me is not. It, it's fine as a development place, but I think for your key people, like an Athena, I don't think she should be just strictly on Honor Club herself either. I don't mm-hmm. think that is. It's not enough of a hook that people are signing up for it, and I think it kind of you know shields Athena well, away from larger fan base. But you can also make the argument that if Athena hasn't had this run, would she have? I think been been as uh, fully realized of a character as she is now, you know, like I, I, I'm looking at it and maybe they are at this point looking at ROH, like, like they're developmental, the place where you kind of like, you know, put people out of the spotlight in order for them to really develop their characters and find new life before redebuting them. Um, it doesn't feel like it's that sort of like fully developed of a, of an idea as, as NXT yet. But um, we'll see. Like, I think well, how many, how often they use Eddie Kingston and how significant of a program on ROH and Honor Club will tell a whole lot. We go back to last week and Roderick Strong is in the hospital with the kingdom praying and reading his get well cards. And Adam Cole shows up. Taven and Bennett have to go. They've got to leave for Grand Slam. And Cole then tells Roderick, I've also got to go because MJF has a big match. And Roderick's like, what about me? And then we look at him in the background and he just says, just freaking go. And to be fair to Roderick Strong, this visit was like the Homer Simpson, like walking into the house and turning around and leaving. It was about like as like, I mean, to give you a lot of sympathy for Roderick Strong. Grandpa Simpson. Uh, yes, exactly. Like this was a 15 second visit. Be like, did you pay for parking to come say hi? Like this, this feels like you felt uh, to check off the box. Saw my best friend in the hospital. I can now get this off my conscience. Like he stopped his car in the emergency lot and didn't want to get ticketed. My four ways are on in the front. I'm blocking the emergency (laughs) entrance for an ambulance. Um, I think that was the idea sort of they wanted to convey. They want to give you a little bit of ambiguity, ambiguity of, of who exactly is right here. You know, does Roderick Strong have a point that Ro- Cole has been a bad friend? And I would say very much so. This was a very campy segment, but I don't think it was 
maybe as offensive nor as drawn out as maybe some of the MGF and Cole segments might have been because I I've heard a lot of people get really turned off like a lot of the you know people that used to watch our or AEW for sports like you know storytelling they really don't like those MJF and Cole segments. I'm not as like offended by them anymore because I know they worked. Um, but I don't, I'm, all I'm saying is I don't think this was that this was felt a lot more like, you know, mankind and Vince McMahon. And in the end, it told you a story. It gave you, you know, a reason to feel whether or not you agree with Roderick strong. These friends of yours, they're not going to be watching the bullet train match. Are they? Um, yeah, I, I doubt it. Maybe out of curiosity, you know, um, if I force them to, but yeah. Renee spoke with Christian and Luchasaurus and Christian said he's bored of Darby. And so his idea to cure his boredom is that in addition to facing you in a tag match on Friday, how about we have a triple threat match on Saturday with Luchasaurus and you for the TNT championship, which he calls uh, a handicap match. I mean, triple threat match and sting is not allowed at ringside. And you're going to have as much chance as the Yankees and Mets do this year. Zero. Ooh. Ooh. You know, the uh, Yankees lost again tonight to the Jays. The Jays are, uh, they're, they're turning it up, man. They, they've, they beat the Red Sox on Saturday and Sunday, beat the Yankees last night, beat them again tonight. Well, Christian really should have uh, shouted tonight's result, you know, for a Toronto guy, right? He he should have had that MLB app I was talking about. He would have been on top of things. He could brag mm-hmm. about Toronto beating the Yankees. Could have given them the final score too. It feels like it's a pretty like big match for Collision. You know, a title match with Darby after like the culmin. It could feel like the culmination of of this actual feud. I don't see a title change happening here, um, just because Darby with the TNT Championship again. Just I don't think achieves a whole lot. But um, can you see this being the end of the feud? I mean, it feels like we've we've reached our conclusion. Mm-hmm. Unless there's yeah. something something more to go. And perhaps like Nick Wayne, um, you know, joining Christian and Luchasaurus. Like maybe that's that's the turn they're looking for of some sorts. Mm-hmm. Though that would be very, very similar to what we're about to get into with Sammy Guevara. Almost too much. Jericho and Guevara. Uh, we had Jericho make his entrance to Judas. And then Sammy Guevara. The lights go out and we see a light up vest that Sammy Guevara has procured. And Mont Easy wraps his theme to the ring and we see Guevara's uh, trunks, which are a throwback to Chris Jericho's uh, tights that he wore at WrestleMania 19 against Shawn Michaels that the announcers point out. So there would be a lot of WrestleMania 19 to this match. And we start off and early on, Guevara spins to do his pose and Jericho joins to do the sex gods pose and it picks up from there. There's a corkscrew tornillo to the floor by Guevara and he does the throat slash and calls for the GTH, but it's countered as Jericho hits a code breaker. Guevara hits his own code breaker and hits this insane moonsault to the floor. And the announcers thought he blew out his knee, but he was okay. So Guevara's on the apron and Jericho comes off the turnbuckle and Guevara was supposed to catch him with a drop kick and it totally missed. And it, it kind of was this, this abrupt pause in, in the flow of this one. But they continue onwards. Sammy hits a big top rope cutter, and the GTH is countered into the walls. Jericho pulls him away, and Sammy breaks free. They go to the top turnbuckle, and Sammy executes a flying cutter. And as he goes for his own top rope lion salt, Jericho gets up the knees, hits his own lion salt, gets a two count. And then after absorbing some knees, Sammy hits a flying knee, hits the GTH, and then Sammy takes about an hour to climb to the top turnbuckle, pose and then go for a shooting star press which is caught in midair 
with a code breaker from Jericho to win the match in 15 minutes and 12 seconds. Jericho beats the student. Uh, yes, he does this time around. Um, I felt like there were a couple blemishes here, from uh, which is uh, unusual for both men, but it didn't really affect my overall enjoyment of the match, which I thought was very good. And especially when you nail a finish this spectacular, um, I, that's what's going to be remembered. That's all, really, you know. And that that goes for the match we're about to talk about after this as well. Uh, but this one was, I think, very ambitious, with uh, very creative, with a lot of spectacle. That suplex off the apron, and of course, that incredible finish. So. Um, set this set the stage for the turn that we're about to talk about yeah i i thought that they were just like they were doing a lot of like creative stuff like obviously they they had come up with a lot of interesting counters and answers to each other and jericho doing a lot in this match Mm -hmm. i just found it was like rough around the edges at certain Mm -hmm. parts that the, the flow was kind of lost at different points and it just seemed as though like it was like yeah, they were going after the after the springboard the audience off. wasn't ready for and vice versa yeah uh, notably i mean jericho tripped off the leapfrog but like it i don't think that one like that one felt realistic because he just like kind of ate punishment for it um it was the springboard drop kick that sammy i think was supposed to counter with the super kick that looked very mistimed and unusual for you know the um, um, men at, at their caliber um not perfect but i still thought it was a very entertaining good match so they're both standing in the ring and Jericho's in the center and they come together and they shake hands and they hug. And I, I think that just the fact that everyone had that seed planted with the gear, it gave everyone just like the, the anticipation that this could happen. And they have this hug and you're waiting. And then Sammy Guevara kicks him right in the balls and they like verbatim do the post-match from WrestleMania 19 with the addition of Don Callis walking down to presumably uh, recruit his latest member of his family, Sammy Guevara and a great angle to end the show and or to, to end the match and the audience, like you got the big reaction you would have desired for a big turn like this with, uh, with Sammy. And it looks like they will not go for those tag titles. Um, no, no, which I mean, I'm not really that upset about at this point. I think this is the right. I mean, it's been the right time for Sammy to really kind of go off on his own and maybe work a program with Jericho to elevate hopefully himself to the next level. Do they do the match, the rematch in Seattle? Oh, okay. Pay per view. Uh, right. Yes, you're right. So then, uh, but what tights do they wear at that point? Um, maybe, maybe Jericho can go to that, that awful, uh, who colored tights that Sean wore at that Survivor <laughs> Series? Remember those? Uh, trying not to remember them. Yes, I do remember them. They're they're those really bad boots. Like one of the worst looks of his career. Yeah, and and not not to really kind of like um, stay on this for too long, but um, and and ultimately it doesn't matter. But I do have to question why Aussie Open had to lose to these two when there was no intention for them to actually go for these championships. Yeah, they were kind of a uh, collateral damage in this, although they are and and, and they were. And they are building those guys up for this big match with, with FTR. You could have maybe found a different team if this was the end result that you Aussie could have let them lose. Like you could have had Jericho and, and and Sammy lose to get to this match. You're right. Yeah, you, you could have done that totally. Whatever. It's fine. This post wrestling podcast is brought to you by Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Financial literacy can be daunting, but it's one of the most valuable things you can equip yourself with. On Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast. Their trusted financial journalists offer easily digestible, conversational discussions on topics like balancing your portfolio. If you think an ETF is one of Cena's five moves of doom, 
this show might be for you. Planning for your tax bills this April, so you don't have to worry about a visit from Erwin R. Scheister and putting away more money for retirement. Because unlike most wrestlers at the end of their careers, most of us should only plan on retiring once. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast on your favorite podcast app. Future you will thank you. MJF and Cole, uh, they arrived earlier in Queens today, and MJF cuts the promo on Joe. He's been holding this grudge for eight years, but he's going to take that chip off his shoulder, bash his skull in, and he's taking, he's tr- trying to take my title and my brother, Adam Cole, tonight I choke you out. And Cole gets a phone call from Roderick, and we see him go off screen. Roddy, you're not going to die, dude. So Ro- Adam Cole was off to go back to the hospital because his friend was in a life or death situation on his, could have been on his deathbed. Must be a pretty fast driver. You think his parking would be still valid? Um, maybe, maybe they don't take it after 9 PM. It's hospitals. The parking is not cheap. Callis and Guevara are backstage and Renee asks if this means he's joined Don Callis's family. (laughs) I would presume so, but we're going to find this out on Friday. Okay. So maybe that's not what it means. Okay. And Daniel Garcia walks up, and Sammy has to be held back, and Callis explained, this kid's money. So he's he's still recruiting in recruitment mode with Daniel Garcia, too. It looks like he is, yeah. So um, hard for me to think that he would just, like, pick up every single JAS member into the, you know, Don Callis family. So I'm not expecting Garcia to join. And does it finally lead to Daniel Garcia versus Sammy Guevara? Uh, does it finally lead to a story for Daniel Garcia is the bigger question. Big question. Big nail biter. Will he get a story out of this? John Moxley and Ray Phoenix for the international championship. They explain this is already the fourth title defense for Moxley since beating Orange Cassidy. And it starts with Phoenix leaping off the ramp onto Moxley. Uh, there is a great camera work here uh, covering this dive. Uh, but man, he just crashed into John Moxley as he came down. Like this one looked concerning too, just the way Moxley went down. This was the first like concerning moment of the match. And I think this was like within the first 30 seconds here, like where um looked like a rough landing on Moxley's like neck area. Um, they see like, you could see Mo- Phoenix checking on, on Moxley with the wrist afterwards and it all seemed okay. But um, a lot of close. He calls. could have been rattled off of this one to begin with. I mean, who, who knows? knows? Yeah. Who knows? So Phoenix is getting beaten down for a while, but uh, comes back with a frog splash and Moxley's up inside out Larry and gives him the middle finger. Then Moxley drapes him on the re on, on the rail and uh, Phoenix then just leaps off the top or sorry, Moxley is draped on the rail. And this is when Phoenix leaps off the top and just crashes down on Moxley on this uh, guardrail. After the break, there's a pile driver inside the ring by Moxley and he's knocked down with the, uh, Senton Atomico, and then Phoenix lifts him up for the Phoenix driver, and the referee is counting one, two, and this was one where it was like wasn't even like a slight movement. Moxley was not moving, and Rick Knox just holds up the hand, and the crowd doesn't know what to make of this. Crowd and, shit on it immediately, like, which they're yeah. just kind of they are so trained to look at this as someone screwed up instead mm-hmm. of someone's hurt, and yeah, I mean it's just it's it's natural. It's just the audience realizing something has gone wrong. Um, mm-hmm. but then he lifts him up, hits him with a second one and pins him to win the title. And it, it was this odd dichotomy where Moxley is being tended to, they took the camera off him and Phoenix is celebrating this gigantic win. And, and then, yeah, we just got the update after the break and, and hopefully tomorrow something more clear, but at least he was moving, which obviously is a positive sign. 
Yeah, a lot of um, again, like we talked about it off the top of the show, a lot of possibilities here. Um, just really clearly something failed and something did not go right. And I see a lot of people like blaming Rick Knox. I I don't think you could definitively say that like he did anything wrong here, other than maybe not hear mocks um you know when when it was the finish like we don't exactly know if there were audibles called we don't know if there was an intended finish that like didn't go well obviously the finish didn't go as planned but like we we don't know where the communication broke down so without knowing it it's hard to really be able to place any sort of blame i have to imagine there was an an excuse for all of this that you know would. i mean you have three people like all of the wires could be crossed. Mm-hmm. Like for all we know, like Moxley was calling the spot. Like, let's just go to the, like, you, you don't, we know. don't know. Like we don't know. It's yeah, yeah. really yeah. hard to game plan something like this. But I think overall, like I'm always going to defer to the, just like, I'm very against like the, let's just get to the finishes. Like that's the ultimate conclusion mm-hmm. we have to, when, when we're talking heads and necks, like that to me is um, like, I don't think we're in an era anymore where like an audience is going to have a poor reaction to that, that call. I think right. this is but, an audience that's much more concerned with the well-being of these performers. Right. But whether or not that was actually what happened here, I don't think we can definitively say either. Right. Um, but now we have a, a pretty surprising title change, you know, um, Again, don't know if this was always supposed to be the plan or if this was the audible, but like Mox was supposed to be the guy to really carry that international championship off of Orange Cassidy into sort of the next level. Like you've established that this could be something that main events a, a pay-per-view. Um, and unfortunately, with Ray Phoenix at this point, somebody who really has not been featured at all in any significant storylines on AEW throughout these past several years, it feels more like a mid-card title. So we'll see where they go from here. You know, like they could always just, I guess, put it back on Mox if he's healthy or put it from Phoenix to somebody else, or they can make a real run with Ray Phoenix, which I think they should. That would be my option. Yeah. That'd be my option. Let Phoenix go. I mean, this is, I mean, Phoenix is a lot higher on the pecking order for me than Cassidy was when he won this title. And I think, Mm -hmm. you know, you, you put a weekly Phoenix match on, on television. I think that's, that's, like the, the, he, he's an underutilized performer completely uh, he and his brother one of the biggest in this company we had a video with promos so rampage is also going to feature a four-way number one contenders match for the roh tag titles with the righteous best friends the hardys and the kingdom with the winners challenging cole and mjf at wrestle dream so that will be the mjf adam cole match for seattle hmm. Saray and Tony Storm. Storm comes out, new theme music, black and white filter for her entrance. Love it. Every week they are making these improvements. And this this audience was so into this. And they they helped make this match that much more. But Mm -hmm. I mean, the Tony Storm stuff, they they have this has been one of the better characters that they have developed in in AEW in a long time. And I would have never guessed it would have come out of the outcasts, which I mean, I don't know how long they've been together, but like for the better part of their entire existence, I thought they were one of the worst, like creative sort of like things going on in AEW. But out of it, I think you have like three really strong performers right now, each, you know, with their own thing, but the strongest of which is being Tony storm, which they continue to fully realize here. I love this entrance. It is absolutely perfect. What he, she did with RJ city on Saturday was excellent as well. Uh, that I is actually is perfect for RJ city. So if there um, was a role he was born for, look, this, yeah. this character was it. Yeah. So, I mean, they, they had a lot of like fun stuff in this match. Uh, Tony 
climbs under the ring and Ruby yanks her out and she's got a pair of slippers that she starts using and the referee takes one of them away. So Storm gets the other and nails Soraya with it uh, to set up a near fall. And the match continues. There's uh, during the during the picture in picture, I guess way you just see it all mm-hmm. uncut. But this is during the picture in picture. There's a DD, a draping DDT off the apron by Tony Storm, then a sunset bomb inside of the ring. I'm like, they're doing more in the picture in picture. And yeah. the comedy was what like I was getting. So we come back. Tony rips off the bottom turnbuckle. She's going to break Soraya's neck with the hip attack and she gets the spray paint can, but Soho takes away the spray paint can, passes it to Soraya and behind the ref's back, she sprays it in Tony's eyes and hits the nightcap and kicks out. And this was the first like major reaction. Like this crowd bit on all of these near falls. Mm -hmm. However, they go right in on Tony storm, not a speck of paint on her from this spray paint can that green paint has always been very um... this was like not a dot nothing there was nothing in this like it was i don't know what they're using in but... i almost feel like they, they should have gone with a different color but like this this green paint has never been that effective well this is yeah. a this is this was a new one for spray paint in a wrestling spot so soraya goes to smash her face into the bottom turnbuckle but soraya can't bring herself to do it to tony so storm grabs her by the leg puts her foot on the the mat and then makes out with Soraya hits the storm zero, which Soraya kicks out from another huge near fall. And she puts Soraya up against the exposed turnbuckle seats her in the corner. And we get her stating, I love you. She and, says, I'm sorry. I love you to be specific. Okay. I didn't catch the, I'm sorry. I assume that was uh, implied, but yeah. there you go. And runs at Soraya. The only quibble I'm going to have is Soraya got out of here with like with, 20 minutes to spare before like it was the, too early. So Tony just looked like she was still running forward when Soraya had moved. True. But I mean, given who was actually, taking I don't blame her for not taking any chances on this, but I don't think Tony was going to go full force here. Knowing that nonetheless, she gets out of the way and Soraya uh, storm runs into the exposed buckle and is hit by a nightcap off the turnbuckle and pins her in eight fifty three. dude, this match totally over delivered uh, mm-hmm. this crowd was great they had some really really strong near fall spots i might go to say like this is probably i think soraya's best match i've seen her in in aew i i i don't think i would really question it either like, and for only... storm's character like like this was one of her better performances too like it was a lot of the character work like i don't think anyone's gonna have this as your match of the year or even match of the night but this worked this well, worked really what, well for the audience what are we learning really from this mjf run you know like if if, if you're gonna, going to be a big star you can have like i don't know like six star matches like every single outing you know what in AEW you'd be huge if you had six star matches but you can have three three and a half star matches every week and that's not really going to make much of a, of a difference in your status what connects with people is a unique character and and this is a very unique character that i think has, i think is very much connected with everybody um this to me was the type of match that i think completed tony storm's babyface turn they happened to find a great storyline entering this match for them to play out um with i guess Soraya wanting to slap the crazy out of tony storm which is so dumb but it's great heel logic and sets up for a wonderful series of comebacks from Tony storm. Now you finally have Tony storm be able to wrestle like the old Tony storm, but with 
a, a, a completely captivating baby face character. So I loved all the work they did. I loved when she like kissed Soraya as this sort of unexpected, like, yeah, like I'm crazy type of thing. Um, I, the, I'm sorry. I love you moment. I thought was very funny too. Like it was equal parts, uh, maybe story with a little bit of comedy in, comedy in there, but really great wrestling. That's to me, maybe the biggest surprise is the fact that we got a really good Soraya pr- wrestling in ring performance here. So very good. You know, at a uh, victory road, when Tommy dreamers career was on the line against Kenny King, he did the, uh, I'm sorry. I hate you. <laughs> as his setup. <laughs> oh, well, what an enduring spot that uh, that has become now, like, what, 15 years since uh, Sean did that? There was a lot of Sean on this show. Dude, I mean, yeah, there was a lot of Sean on this show. So, yeah, really enjoyable match. I, I, I enjoyed that a lot more than I thought I would. And the result that, that I think we were expecting that. I don't want to see this program end. I think, like, these three work together. Like, I, I, I don't want to... Like Tony Storm's gonna be fine, but I and I don't want to see Tony Storm like win a championship. The more she no, loses, like she more... can get away with like the, these losses, but I mean this is not gonna last forever. This uh this pairing, but it's mm-hmm. it does work, and you still have like Ruby in the mix here too. So Friday night's two hour special has Sting and Darby against Christian and Luchasaurus, Orange Cassidy, Chris Statlander, and Hook against Menard, Angelo Parker, and Anna Jay. The Hardys, Righteous Kingdom, and Best Friends in the number one contenders match. Mike Santana in action. The acclaimed against the Dark Order for the AEW Trios titles, Julia Hart against Sky Blue, and the Mogul Embassy against the Hung Bucks for the ROH Trios titles. So we have we have two Trios championship matches on this show. They have a lot of titles, John. Maybe they can join and be there can be a, a, a six man team championship. Really? Okay. Well, I think that's another championship that they could potentially introduce. The twelve the Hung. Men. I'm not that. Uh, never mind. I don't know. Mm, yeah. I'm trying to meld uh, the acclaimed yeah, with uh, the Hung Bucks. Uh, I don't want to go there. Yeah, not right now. That's on uh, Saturday. Uh, on Friday, Saturday's Collision has Cage, Luchasaurus, and Darby for the TNT title, and Drade against Jay White, RVD Wrestling in Grand Rapids, Michigan, FTR and the Workhorsemen for the tag titles, and Ricky Starks against Brian Danielson in a Texas death match. I would say both nights that have their highlights attached to them. It's a I I don't know if this is I feel collision. We're gonna see this weekend. If it's the last two weeks, it's been point one fives, and this kind of feels like that's going to be the barometer of a collision against mm-hmm. college football. I see this one being right in that same range, but it's a good lineup. Like Starks and Danielson are coming off an unbelievable match. And this probably is going to be of similar caliber, which makes me concerned when it's Danielson going out there for one of these matches again. Right. Well, like he said, you know, uh, Ricky really did a great job of protecting him and there were a lot of bells and whistles there. So hopefully um, they can manage the same. Um, they're making a real effort. You know, last week, I I mean, on paper, I don't think that card looked any special, but this week they're trying to definitely come back with something a lot stronger and Grand Slam worthy, I would say. What about a Grand Rapids death match? What, what, what would that entail? You ever been to Grand Rapids? I've never been to Grand Rapids. I don't think I have. Did we go through Grand Rapids? I don't know. I have as a child, believe it or not. I don't remember a thing from it, so I don't know what they would put in a Grand Rapids death match. And dynamite next week, contract signing, Hangman Page and Swerve Strickland. So we, we got some work to do building up dynamite, but we, we got a contract signing next week. So buy your tickets now. I'm surprised they even like took the effort to talk about dynamite. There, there was way too much for anybody to. They remember. should just go dynamite. We know you're tuning in anyway next Wednesday. Yeah. So mm-hmm. 
find out what we're going to present you. So Samoa Joe is walking backstage with security in our callback to take over minus uh, shoving a guy that he would headline a show with in eight years from now. Well, exactly. Like they could have really made someone here. This, everyone would be like, who was that guy? Who was the indie guy that got shoved this time? Totally his chance to, you know, book a program for himself in 10 years. Missed. MJF Samoa Joe before MJF comes out. Maybe the the best part of the show. Oh my God. Like for anyone that grew up in our, the second this video came up, you knew exactly what they were parodying it because this was such a famous spot with Bret Hart and it's the go get him champ, except the punchline at the end is the kid asking his dad if he's adopted. And uh, this was awesome. I just so great shot for shot. Like this thing was absolutely perfect. I mean, brought me back to my childhood. I'm sure a lot of, uh, you know, AW audiences childhood as well. Um, And the punchline at the end, was absolutely absolutely perfect he went over shivani like giggled at it he thought this was hilarious (laughs) so very good spot and mjf comes out and dude like he is decked out in all the major sports teams in the state of new york like dude's got the bills the giants the jets his do you want to know how, pinstripes dude do you want to know how deep he got okay like i paused <laughs> he didn't what show up at the logo okay so he had yeah the mets the giants the buffalo bills so, so he's going outside of new york had the jets had the islanders the rangers he even had the new york titans lacrosse team <laughs> logo who competed in their last season in 2009 oh my so, god <laughs> it tells you Man, just, it tells you this guy doesn't give a shit about the buffalo sabers uh, he might have had the sabers logo on the back too i like, didn't get there. everyone but i mean he, the man continues to i think perfectly lampoon every baby face trope under the sun as part of this run it's it's wonderful commentary I think. yeah he's got his his mets shirt that uh, my god i hope they were selling all of these all night long because mm-hmm. like all this like mets stuff was just very smart to have on hand here no Adam Cole as the match begins and Joe goes after the neck and he hits the urinagi and the muscle buster gets countered with a sunset roll up. And every time MJF gets any kind of offense, the crowd is with him. Like he is the a one baby face to this crowd. Like him and Eddie Kingston were the biggest baby faces on this show. And um, Mm -hmm. I thought by a pretty significant margin from anyone else, Uh, Joe tears off the, the Mets shirt and MJF fights back, and when he signals for this kangaroo kick, holy Christ, did this place go wild. And he hits it. Joe goes to the floor, and the place is cheering for him. But then he goes back to selling the neck, and he's t- telling the crowd, cheer, cheer me on. It's like medicine. And Joe comes back and hits him with the nastiest-looking Death Valley driver onto the edge of the apron. Now, they showed the replay. The replay, it, it didn't look as bad. The first angle... I thought his spine was like shattered. It mm. looked so rough the way he went down. Not just um, that, but like his fall onto the ap- onto the floor after the apron like looked kind of scary as well. Ugh. So he is dead on the floor and is thrown back in, kicks out. Joe pulls out a table and puts him through it with a urinagi, removes the floor padding and pile drives MJF onto the floor. And there's the evilest smirk on Joe's face as the doctors come to check on him. So this is like an hour after we've seen the John Moxley deal Mm -hmm. and they're checking on MJF and Joe attacks the medical staff and takes MJF and puts him back into the ring. MJF comes back and he manages a Liger bomb. Crowd is going crazy for him. He hits a low blow that the referee misses as he takes out the dynamite diamond ring, which is caught by Turner. 
And I don't know why Paul Turner can't just take this ring and put it into his pocket because he's got to lean out of the ring to physically remove this ring, this giant piece of, uh, of silver uh, from the ring. And that allows uh, Joe to kick him low and hits the muscle buster. And this generates a massive near fall. Like everyone thought, wow, this guy could win it. There's not going to be a foot on the rope. They're too far out, but the crowd goes nuts. Joe is stunned. He, he brought it. This, this was, this was a Ruby justifiable. Okay. That's well, they really like built up the muscle buster as like a, a, a crippling move for a guy with a broken neck. Right. So they, they completely earned this near fall. Adam Cole runs down. He's cheering on Max. This is like, it's just baby face. Like this, he's Hogan 1987 and the arm stays up and Max gets to his feet, bites his way out of the sleeper and Cole distracts Paul Turner leading to Max choking Joe with his wrist tape and applies a rear naked choke, putting Joe out in 1841. And then Adam Cole runs in, hides the evidence as MJF distracts Turner. And we see Samoa Joe walk in and offer his hand and MJF shakes on it. And there's the big surprise was there was no big surprise at the end. There was no attack. There was no angle. It was just MJF one MJF kicked out of the muscle buster delivered on his promise, choking out Joe and Joe shakes his hand afterwards. Um, I I, I, I didn't know about the handshake at the end. Well, I mean, they could be turning Joe babyface. You know, th- th- that oh, might be just something they might might be doing. So great! Oh, he was incredible in this. I don't. Match. I don't like, need babyface Joe. Like he was. Agree. Like he gave everything to MJF in this match. Like you, mm-hmm. there doesn't feel like a follow up to this. Like this felt no. like we, we're done with the Joe chapter. I guess if if you want to complain that like he like MJF won with with the wrist tape, um, but to Samoa Joe, like obviously this was fair. Because he shook his hand afterwards. I mean, they're both villains and cheating is a part of their repertoire. So um, they, you know, I don't think there's a follow up for this. I don't think there ever was meant to be one. They were peaking for Grand Slam and they got there. But man, this was a, like Samoa Joe, the hottest he's been, I think, in years. And um, I hope that they are able to find a way to capitalize on this beyond just, I don't know, a Ring of Honor TV title defense. Like he feels like a real commodity right now. And I don't think he would have gotten there without MJF. Like this was a beneficial program for the both of them. Um, but this match, he was really fantastic. Incredible atmosphere, obviously, to start. I don't think there's been a wrestler that has utilized cheating to make himself a bigger baby face than, you know, since Eddie Guerrero. So um, MJF has really been perfectly like giving us a really unique take on what a babyface run could be. Um, and it continues, you know, what I think has been a really strong series of title defenses for MJF so far. Yeah, I would say uh, aside from like the Moxley deal, I thought overall like a really entertaining show. It was uh, what was your match of the show of the five? Oh, man, I haven't even thought about it since. Um let me just think about it. What did we have here? I, I, I thought the peak with like Claudio Eddie. Yeah, for me. yeah, I think so too. As a, as a full on match, I thought the main event was very well done as well. So I mean, those two were probably the highs. Uh, but throughout the show, I mean, that was the hottest for the main event, and they had seen a lot in those two hours already. But that was um, like MJF is a he is a tremendous like this babyface role is like they are totally behind this guy, and this was uh, the market for it and. Yeah, it was it, it certainly feel, like this felt like a 10 times bigger match than this well, presumably kingdom match you're getting in Seattle next uh, pay-per-view. But he's not supposed to be the lead guy like he's not the main main draw for Seattle. You know, Danielson, Zach, Sh- should he be? 
Like is Danielson Zach? Um, yeah, when you're talking pay per view, well, when you're talking pay per view, I mean, I do agree. Like you should probably have a title defense, um, but they're clearly pacing him. You know, whether it's to protect him from injury or to maybe spread the wealth of those you know individual title matches. Because how many weeks are, are there till Wrestle Dream? It's dude. Next week's to go home. It's uh, right. a week from this Sunday. Yeah. Um, so you have like you know a week and a half to continue. Could they have meaningfully like told us a, a challenger story in that time? You know, or I mean, the argument would have been would the tag titles would have been better suited here with with Joe and MJF at at the pay per view, um, right? But right. I mean, at the same time, you had they, to tell they, this is a big show, and they yeah. I think felt the need to like they wanted to push tickets, and to their credit, this last week like they got a big bump in tickets that they moved for the the show, and um, mm-hmm. like MJF and Joe was the big match that was solidified last Wednesday. Yeah, I mean, for Seattle, I mean, Danielson as as the top main eventer, I think makes as a, a lot of sense. Um, Swerve and Page feels like a big match for that show as well. Yeah, I'm, you know, that'll be the big focus of the next week and a half. I, I don't know. I'm not. I'm not feeling this Wrestle Dream being like this like giant pay per view number. At least not right now. You think it'll do worse than All Out, which we don't. We still don't have numbers for. But. So all out, it it looks like it's going to be below a hundred thousand. Um, okay. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a lot to ask of people. All out was lower than I thought it was going to be. And Wrestle right. Dream, like I, I I think I'll put it this way. Today I feel Wrestle Dream is a lot closer to all outs number than than all ins. Mm. I think it'll do better simply because like you're spacing your you know uh, pricing demands of, of the audience apart. But what is the long game here? You know, if 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 the goal is something on max, then it it's it, it, the buy rate maybe is is not that big of a of a problem as much as building the name brand of a Wrestle Dream as you know a pay per view level event. Mm-hmm. Well, we are going to take your feedback if uh, you want to share your thoughts. Super chats are also welcome if you want to throw in uh, any questions at us. And on the subject of questions, next week we are doing the Ask Away Mailbag Show. So you can go over the next week, forum.postwrestling.com, post your questions, and that show will be out next Thursday. All questions are welcome, and they're always uh, some of our most uh, fun shows to do, uh, covering many, many subjects. And why don't we open it up to actually everybody uh, who, even if you're not a patron which you should be of course but if you want to leave a voicemail you can go to memo.fm slash post wrestling memo.fm slash post wrestling and you can i I believe you have like a 60 second time limit just be able to just ask whatever you want and we'll play it on the post wrestling cafe great uh, idea yes so for the next week uh we'll be doing that show next thursday so uh, memo.fm slash post wrestling questions about anything we will answer almost every single question yes did you hear uh Brandon really uh, thumbs down uh, love after divorce. Didn't seem too interested. In uh, Thurston? Oh, yes. Yeah. Oh, I didn't get to that part. He's not watching love after the divorce. That's a shocker. I need. He, I need he was quarter... a very adamant no when I asked if he was interested. <laughs> I'm looking for quarter hour ratings for love after divorce. Uh, episode nine. In sure. particular. So uh, can we get those? Hours of uh, hours consumed of love after divorce <laughs> okay let's go uh any super chats or feedback we will go to now uh, let's go to jake here who sends five dollars who says rick knox was just reckless here he let mox take another dangerous driver after that rush should count to three no matter what if one can't kick out yeah we did touch on this jake earlier i i, I don't think you can lay the blame solely on rick knox right now without knowing the full story and again like 
the edict to count to three no matter what is not up to one particular referee. It's up to the company. That's why everybody in WWE does it is because that's what the referees are told to do. We don't know what they tell AEW referees to do. So don't know if we could blame Rick Knox. Yeah, I I, I think it helps and like we just don't know what the like that that's one thing like you don't get sort of a idea of you know a a protocol in these kinds of situations is there a a protocol like when there's a a a potential neck or head injury and and what the like what is the you have to be thinking on the fly like Mm -hmm. like a legitimate referee of is this something where they can there's a difference between being hurt and being injured they are hurt they, can they work through to the end of the match? You know, they've got a bad knee, but we can get to the ending. We're not going to further or significantly compromise the existing injury. But if it is something where you are injured, then that is we are no longer in the auspice of we must finish this match. And this is a competitor that can still reasonably compete without greatly compromising themselves. And was there enough space to even determine this, the severity of injury? If Moxley was talking back to Knox, can like is can Mox de- determine at that point that like there's so much going on and all of it is at a split second? I mean, I have sympathy sometimes for like MMA referees too when they're placed in these sort of situations. Oftentimes, I don't. Um, but in this situation, again, I I just laid out there that we don't know enough about what exactly happened to for me to make any sort of judgment. Yeah, there, I mean, there was there was a fight on Saturday where the the referee Chris Tyone thought that this choke like the guy's arm went down and he quickly like ended the fight and it was a premature stoppage like the it was not a really like deep choke mm-hmm. and the guy was fine and protesting and this referee just got torched on commentary online and he went to the replay and like acknowledged he made the mistake so it didn't go down as a loss for this fighter it went down as a no contest oh but- interesting that's what they do now you have the ability on like a fight ending oh. sequence. You can just go to the replay, but you've got to think like a lot of referees like might not want to admit their failure here on national television, but like he owned the mistake mm-hmm. and didn't allow a loss to go on this fighter's record by his right. error in judgment. But you're taught like a lot of referees. It's call it a, a, a strike too early rather than a strike too late. We'd rather yeah. you err on the side of caution and wrestling. It's different, but obviously a pro wrestling referee is very different from an MMA referee. We are not comparing them in, in that sense, but it, it's more so about the idea of like people that are in charge of protecting. I'm saying these, these are split second decisions. Yes, and this is yes. when a pro wrestling referee is in the line of like, you are the, the safety harness in mm. a situation like this, where you are not just playing a, a character, you are the quarterback of this situation. And when there is a legitimate injury, like you do have to be the person that is going to steer the ship. Right. Um, let's go to our feedback forum.postwrestling.com. And we go to Brian from New Jersey, who says, uh, I'll start John. Aside from the scary ending to Mox and Phoenix, I really like the show. It came off as a major event, like the previous two visits to Arthur Ash and the smaller crowd still sounded good on TV. Uh, Still sounded loud on TV, I should say. I thought it started strong with Claudio and Kingston and ended strong with the main event. And in between, we got a quality heel turn and a wonderful new entrance from Tony Storm, which friends of mine compared to Gold Dust's old entrance. In addition to Moxley's health, I hope Adam Cole is okay after he appeared to hurt himself running down to the ring. From Roderick's neck health to Cole's ankle health, I also hope this isn't the end of Samoa Joe in the main event picture, as I think he's been awesome since returning to TV in June. Um, I didn't notice the Cole... um, 
leap. I saw him run down. I, did, I didn't like register anything. I mean, he was, you know, he was on his feet the whole post-match. So I, I don't know. Yeah, but but some have like mentioned it as well. So well, I'm sure we'll get an update on that as well. Jordan from the Bronx, who was at Grand Slam. Great show live. I didn't get up during the entire show out of fear of missing something. No surprise debuts or returns this year, but we got some very fun wrestling. Here's hoping that Moxley and Adam Cole are okay and not seriously injured after tonight. Don Callis, heat in the building was intense. This is my second Grand Slam and third AEW show overall. They need better merch options in the building. Eight out of ten show. Seems to be a consistent complaint when, when you know, when it, when it comes to AEW live events and you know, four years in, you figured like mm, you wouldn't be hearing so much of that anymore. But well, I, I hope they mass produced those those Mets shirts for MJF. Like that would have seemed just perfect for hmm. you know this show. Uh, let's go to David from Israel, who's, who says, "Overall, I really liked the show, but I had two issues, which are more agent producer based than anything. One, after the Moxley incident, having almost every match afterwards include a pile driver spot, including one on the concrete, which was an injury spot with doctors, felt tasteless to me, and they could have done without it." Mm. I, I didn't have an issue with it. It's just, it's, you know, unfortunate that it happened to Moxley, but I mean, these matches are mapped out and there was a reason for like, like the Joe spot, like that was an important spot in the match. And the whole I mean, story I, of the match was a man working over, like selling his injured neck. That, yeah. that is the, the MJF character currently. And it's a lot to ask for them to throw out their entire main event. And, and the Soraya match was kind go. of built around her neck too. Like we yes. had both those matches to follow and necks were, key parts of the story for each yeah now like okay like there are going to be potentially extreme circumstances where like you do have to do something like that like you do have to completely throw it out i again we don't know enough about the mox thing to even be able to say like what happened there i don't fault mjf and cole uh sorry joe at all for for doing all that uh let's go number two AEW needs to be consistent with how submissions work referee wise wait mjf get the the arm three arm lifts method do it during a choke and then in the same match the finish had the ref immediately wave the match away during a similar choke on joe to me this kind of inconsistency takes me out of the match and i wish they could create more you know a more universal approach to submissions having two different versions in the same match is the wrong choice in my opinion i, I think that that's a fair complaint it's I mean, it's done because one's a babyface spot with the with the arms going up, but it is a very dated pro wrestling spot that I I think it kind of leans on your audience that is so, somewhat like understanding of like how these things really work. Like if someone was in a choke, you're not lifting the guy's yeah. arm three times. You're never touching the guy's arm. Um, but in this case, I mean, it did generate a huge pop when he it's just. <laughs> It's like, if that UFC ref did the three arm raising, would he not have uh, received as much of a blowback from the audience? Maybe it's MMA that needs to learn from pro wrestling. Um, but I think there would be way more uh, worse examples that would be a result of someone uh, asleep uh, with their arm going down three times. But I, I think that that that's a fair criticism. Mm-hmm. If that, that's the finish of the match, and you're sort of doing both these uh, su- submission finishes, like you, yeah. like you do not get the three arms up too often, like any like when was i can't even remember the last time i saw the, the three arm spot like it, it happens for a, every for a now finish and then. you mean I, I mean you still see it often but like not for a finish I, I can't even think of too many i see too often like it's just it's, it's not really that significant of a spot in most matches like it's just no. you know cody from maine wishing the best for moxley and adam cole man you and i totally whiffed on this yeah, uh, sorry. This adam cole thing we I mean, were getting seen... ready for the show i guess uh brian alvarez says he's on the way to the hospital Ooh, all right well uh that that's unfortunate yeah because they've got the pay-per-view next week 
fingers crossed at neither. It's really unfortunate period. for Cole. I mean, he's just he's on such a great run, you know. So hopefully this is not. Uh, yeah. Um, okay. Cole is on the way. Brian Alvarez. Uh, Moxley was hurt in the Phoenix match, hence the unplanned finish. But he's okay. Cole is on his way to the hospital. Ugh. There you go. Those incidents aside, this is Cody again. This was a great show that was only made better by the pacing as they let moments properly sink in from Kingston's title win, Guevara's WrestleMania 19 tribute, the appearance of Don Callis and the handshake at the end of the main event. In a good way, I was left wondering what's next for a lot of people on this card. Top among them is Tony Storm. Do you see them building towards another match with Soraya? It's tough to see who the next challenger would be. Perhaps Jimmy Hayter is close to returning. I recall hearing out for the rest of the year, but things can always change. Um, yeah, I think Jamie Hayter still has a, a, a bit of time before she should be back. But um, what about Rosa? What's going on? Uh, Thunder Rosa. Yeah, that's, you know, someone that I mean, man, she is that for, for all we look back at of like, uh, you know, finishing up and stuff like she's missed over a year now with that back injury. Mm. Like it was very serious. Um, you know, mm-hmm. she's it hasn't been that much different from like the the amount of time Randy's been out like it was only a few months difference as, as well uh, I think there's lots to do with Tony Storm I think there's still juice in the outcast program um, that you eh, in theory could get another match with Soraya though I don't think it's you, you need to I think Tony's gonna be fine with wherever she like she's such a key part of whatever story she's involved with but it's also keeping the outcasts in a, in a prominent position when they've got the title uh, with them as well so I think there's more that could be done there but like Tony Storm's over, and I think like I'm not too concerned with whatever direction they, they take with her. Let's go up next to Muggin, who says, Eddie Two Belts kicking off Grand Slam was a wave of euphoria. It was neat psychology with Claudio wearing Masala colors to counter Eddie's Kawada scheme. The match itself was very strong. The main event was uncomfortable at times, but Joe was at his best, and MJF called his shot to put him to sleep. It was a nice touch with the Bret Hart-style intro. It's relieving to hear that Moxley dodged the bullet after a near miss with that finish to him versus Phoenix. And Jay from Windsor, good show as per usual by AEW. By the end of it, I couldn't help but have a bad taste in my mouth after the Moxley incident. In 2023, how can a performer be dropped on their head and knocked out only to be picked right back up and given the exact same move that literally just knocked them out again? Experts say that when you suffer a concussion, the worst thing you can do is get hit in the head afterwards. If his head hit the second time, that could have been an even scarier one than it already was. I understand things happen fast, but that should not happen. There needs to be a system and a protocol in place to prevent this, as this isn't the first time, including Matt Hardy. I mean, we, we have seen lots of examples of this where it has been matches that have continued. And again, it's I'm not I'm not defending it. It's, you know, split second uh, decision making. And, you know, had things been worse with with Moxley like that, that could have been devastating you know, to, to do such a, an ambitious move and j- just, just moving somebody at, at that point. Like that should be, we need professionals handling them. But I think, I think we've gone over this from all the different angles, but I, I think people can have that reaction. Certainly. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you everyone for the feedback and for tuning in tonight. We are back on Thursday, rewind away number 139, where we are going back to watch the last of McGinnis documentary. So this is before he went to WWE, before he went to AEW, where was Nigel McGinnis at the end of 2011 in his career? And how would GoFundMe play a role in all of it? So uh, we will be going through that and, and a very, um, DIY project taken on by Nigel McGuinness. Like he pretty much spearheaded this forward, like shot this thing, edited this thing. So I, I always have like a soft spot for 
documentaries that are done like this as opposed to having the uh, the enormous budgets and all like a giant staff of editors and such and uh, we'll give all our thoughts on the the story and the the production of it i'm way more interested in talking about this than the wwe one just because yeah like it's it's all like it, it's about as diy of a wrestler's you know biography as you can really get and i thought it was just incredibly vulnerable and honest because you're you know catching him at a time when i feel like he was clearly dealing with depression you know in the making of this and i thought it came out you know in this in this uh, whole documentary where like just kind of coming to terms with the end of his career and what he considered to be a failure by never having made it into the WWE because of circumstances out of his control, that being the arm injury. And then the happy, um, I guess, uh, diagnosis for that time. Um, anyway, it, uh, it, it, it's not one that I, I think is like, you know, casual viewing or even repeat viewing, but it's one that I think is very honest. Um, and I look forward to talking about it with you. Yeah, I'm very curious because the first time we reviewed this, it was like right when it came out. And it's it's a very different perspective when you know where things turn out for him, um, because at, at the time, it's it's very different. Like this is not a documentary where it's designed like, you know, it's it's like a, a storytelling where it's the happy ending and or or a glimmer of hope even at the end. Like it, it, it's, it's a very, you know, sobering end. But we'll uh, go into this in detail. On Thursdays, Rewind Away, and then Friday night, 10 Eastern here with Rewind to SmackDown after the show from Glendale, Arizona. So thanks to everybody for tuning in, and that wraps up Rewind to Dynamite.